Hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th cent. Did you say something? Did you? I, I was trying to hold in a laugh and then you took the longest pause. And so I couldn't hold it in because you just took this longer than normal pause. And that just started to make me laugh even more. And just as you started to talk, I let out a bit of that laugh and totally fucked it all over. Sorry. That's okay. I, I, I don't. I paused. Is that what you're saying? I paused before you, speaking, you, so I wasn't no, no, no. speaking. You, you, you transition. You always, was. you always transition from okay. Let's do this. And yeah. Are you ready? And I say yes. And they're like, okay. And then you pause. So you've got yeah. some dead air, and then you do the intro. But this time you you paused, and you continued to pause. But it's the same pause, yeah. No, but it was much longer, and so I wasn't expecting it to be that long, and I couldn't hold the laugh in any further. So you were literally laughing at nothing. Hey, everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning. And we made and it yeah. through our intro. Well, we almost the did intro. this. We, oh, shit, no, we, I'm talking right over you. We I'm did sorry. it. No, we're talking over each other. That's that's what we're doing today. 60-something in, and we did today. it. It is, apparently, which makes it harder to edit if the tracks don't line up. But, uh, yeah, uh, Bob and I are, uh, are are talking over each other here on this show. This is awful. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Once we get... Th- is it? Because when we get this far, I never want to start over, but I feel like this could have been a lot stronger. No, we are. This is good. We're into this episode, and let's just jump right to it, past what we've just done, and say, hey, welcome to a new Retro Shock episode of 20th Century Podcast. Wow. Yeah, that's that's direct. Yeah. But yeah, welcome. What what is what do you mean when you say that? What's a retro shock? In case retro we got shock a for, for all of our new listeners, listener, uh, is when we talk about we're gonna go and watch something we haven't seen in some time, something from our, our past. Uh, we're gonna talk about it here in, in the first half. Then we're gonna take a time out, we're gonna watch it and then see if our, our th- memories our reactions are what we expected them to be. What a well-oiled intro. Yeah, thank you. And today we're going to talk about War Games. Yes, War Games. The 1983 uh, Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, apparently Dabney Coleman and James Tolkien starring a film directed by John Badham, who when I looked Dabney up, I realized... Coleman. Man, he had, a lot so. of, he had a nice career going. He had in the '80s. He was in a lot of things. He was in. I yeah. was just reading the other day in the AV Club. They were talking about Cloak and Dagger. He was in right. that. Uh, a little while back, when we were talking about ER, I think we mentioned Man of the People. That's a show of his. He 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 was in a lot of films too. I mean, I, I he's a com- he's comic nine actor. Nine to right? five, wasn't he? Wasn't he the bad boss in Nine to Five? I, I think so. I've never seen Nine to Five, but yes, he was Buffalo Bill. He. Uh, what else is he in? I think he's in Tootsie. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, I, I think. I think he he was the Godfather in the Godfather. I, I think he's Judas he's in and Jesus Christ Superstar. Flight of the Navigator too, right? He's in Flight of the Navigator. I think he's the Rocketeer. Um, he's two of the Gremlins and Gremlins, and then he's two of the Gremlins and Gremlins Two: The New Batch. I mean, he's in a lot of shit. He's in Family Ties. 
He was on Cheers. He was in Silver Spoons. He voiced some of the cats on Heathcliff, like some of the cats, but not any of the main cats. Daddy <laughs> Coleman's had a pretty big... He's in Tron. Who he's was in he Tron in Legacy. War Games? He, was the, he generally plays the, 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 uh, the enemy, the, the antagonist, right? And he was the um, bad guy. I don't guy. know. And, uh, Cloak and Dagger, he's a hero. I think a lot of times he plays like an, a hard-to-like character. I don't know if he's always a villain. Mm. This is odd. I did not think we were going to ever be talking about Tabney Coleman for sentences well, This is what titles. happens when, when we just, you know, turn that mic on and hit record. But do you remember him being in... I mean, we haven't even talked about what the movie's about, but I, I don't remember him being in the movie. I just happened to read his name. Um, I remember him being in the movie. He was, he was like the he's, he's like the military guy in it, if I remember correctly. He might not be the general, but maybe he is the general or whoever is like in charge of the, the missile launches. So you have, you have a good memory of this, this movie? Like, what's, what's it about? What's, what's War Games about? <sighs> I have an okay memory of it because it's not one that I went back to a lot. Um, no, but basically, I, we, we're it's talking about the show. I think I've only <clears throat> seen it twice. You've seen it twice. Oh, that's something we mentioned. Uh, yeah, I've only seen it from beginning to end, nonstop. I think twice. But it's one of those yeah. shows from my youth that, or movies from my youth that always would pop up. It would be on, you know, cable when I was able to watch cable. Uh, it this would, was a big key. I think that's probably where I saw it, a free cable weekend. Yeah. This, this was on, on the air a lot. So, yeah, you were about to say, I'm sorry, what, what is it well, about? Well, just if I remember correctly, uh, it's about uh, a kind of a, a tech-savvy youth, uh, Matthew Broderick, who somehow gets his hands on a program um, that he thinks is just a computer game. And it turns into it's actually hooked up to the uh, the missile launch system uh, for the United States. And whoa, whoa, whoa. It, layman's terms, guy. What are you talking about? A missile launch system for yeah, I know. I, I, I think know exactly. I think there's probably a bigger name for it, but sure. <laughs> Was it an artificial intelligence? Does it speak to him? This program? Uh, it, it does. It does have uh, uh, its own. Yes, it is an artificial intelligence. Okay, and so it, it's a movie it where Matthew Broderick is, 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 what is he, like a teenager? He's in, in high, high school, school kid? If I believe, if, if my memory is correct. Is he a hacker? Would he be a computer hacker? Were there hackers like in the 80s? I feel like he was what one would think a hacker of that time would be. I, I think I said he was computer savvy. You I mean, did. computers I were all so, so new at the time. But he, I remember, and this stood out to me on a, on a later viewing of it, not when I first saw it, but later. So your second viewing. Yeah, yeah, how he would hook into, uh, he had to plug his phone receiver into a mechanism to connect uh, to the, whatever the internet or interweb or, or Yeah, what would it would have, have been? Because Weird time. Science does this too. This came out in 83, Weird Science does it in 85. There's some very early version of the internet in, uh, in Pretty in Pink. I mean, like, what what is it at that point that he's doing? Like, as a kid... So as a, as a kid seeing this movie, knowing what a computer was and seeing him do all the stuff on the computer, did you understand what he, I mean, I don't know what he is doing because I haven't seen it in a while, but did you understand this concept that computers could a, do magic? I had a sense that computers could do that. Yeah, I I believed what was happening could be real. I, could I, they I do had too much at that point? Maybe it was maybe that not with the, like uh, the computers were foreign concepts back then. Not everybody had a home computer. Nobody had a phone computer. So <clears> there was a magic to what you know, we'll use this computer to do 
for what? To, to find someone's phone number, to, to, to find someone on the moon, you know, to, to launch all missiles. For, I mean, like, yeah. these aren't things a computer are necessarily capable of in the 80s, but it seemed logical because they were mystical machines, right? A computer was not the common household item it is uh, today. Right. Yeah, and I think I just kind of went with that. You know, I, I had the suspension of disbelief. It's like, okay, I... I can maybe do some math problems at the computer in my classroom, but if the government can do this with it, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Did you have you had computers in your classroom? I mean, this would have been like third grade, fourth grade kind of thing. Yeah, I uh, yeah, Oregon Trail was uh, in my <laughs> fifth grade classroom, fourth grade classroom. Okay, one of those. Yeah. No, I mean, like with this, with Tron, again with Weird Science. It, computers, at least to me, were this almost fictional thing that could do anything because we didn't have one, you know. And they, I know they were on cartoons. I know they were on shows and they were machines and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I think maybe I'm digging too deep into something that maybe doesn't need this much conversation. But, but, but the idea of this movie and what he could do, which, again, what is he doing? He's hacking into, as you said, at the military computer system for missiles. Is that what it abbreviates to? <laughs> that's, uh, I think that's what it is. Yeah, he thinks it's he, a he thinks it's a game. He he's got other games like the system shows chess and checkers and and tic tac toe and other games. All the and then, exciting Super NES games. And then one of them was what? Hangman. What is it? it's, it's pretty famous. What the name of it is, and now I can't think. Ti of it. Invaders. Galaga. <laughs> Galaga. Asteroid. Zaxxon. Zaxxon. Is it Zaxxon? It's. Uh, I don't think it's Zaxxon. Uh, oh, but no, well it's then. like, what is it? It's a global missile something. Uh, and so he's like, oh, let me let me play this game. Well, so so basically the plot is he, he has a computer game that he, he's, he's working with. And somehow, what what is it actually? What Like he sparks a, a, a fear of nuclear war, right? Somehow? Yeah, because he, he thinks it's just a game and a tactical strategy game. And so he... Has to decide who to bomb first, where where to launch, and and whatnot. And what he didn't realize at first is that it is hooked up to the military system, and they had to shut it down because suddenly they were about to launch missiles to to Russia, to the USSR. Yes, back to the USSR. So that that's kind of the uh, hot button topic of the time then, huh? And now. <laughs> um, so, so, so yeah, so the movie, I, it's vaguely coming back to me again. I don't remember this movie very well, but it is kind of about a kid with a computer who the world is, <laughs> threatens the world on a global stage and somehow is also the only kid who can fix it. Right. Cause isn't it a big, well, wow. I, I, we talked about doing this and I thought I wouldn't have a lot to say about war games, but I, the movie's coming back to me pretty quickly. He, is it? okay. It turns out. The, the, he got the game spoilers from, for war games by the from way from a guy Possibly. so he had to find the guy who made the game and so it's a former military guy and he's the guy that that finds him and then he's the one that convinces us to, to come with them because what happens is the game I don't know who any of these pronouns are right now. <laughs> yeah neither do I the, the game sort of takes over so the, the military was initially able to shut it down but then the game says no 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 we're definitely doing this and so Why does the game, the game exist? Uh, because it was probably some experiment that some military uh, commissioned, the U.S. government commissioned this this other gentleman to make. And that's who the, the younger Matthew Roderick has to seek this guy out with the help of Ali Sheedy. Um, 
Is it like a remember, Skynet? Are they building Skynet or Ultron? Is it something I don't like think that? it's. I don't think it's that massive. I think it's just this one little program. But the program decides not to shut off, and so mm-hmm. they have to outsmart it. Instead of just trying to pull the plug on it, they have to outsmart it. And do you remember how they do that? How how ultimately the whole thing ends? I don't, but don't tell me because we're going to okay. watch it. <laughs> I don't remember how it all ends, but you seem to. Do you? You have a pretty clear – you seem yeah, to have a great memory of this movie, I, I'm actually. S- I'm honestly surprised that I have this good a memory. I, I do recall how it ends, how they outsmart it. Um, all the stuff in the middle I don't quite remember. But uh, the, the one thing that intrigues me about this, and I mentioned this to you as, as we were prepping the topic – um, I like the angle of this movie and lots of other movies like this, where just a kid who doesn't know anything about, you know, government and military and anything, he just is into computers, suddenly finds himself caught up in this whole espionage, military, Cold War, end of the world, World War Three kind of thing, and he has to figure his way out of it. Um, that was always a, a movie... Uh, and sometimes TV shows too, where I, I was always drawn to those movies. I, I probably watched those and enjoyed those more than I may have enjoyed something else. Um, is it identifying with the with, with the character? Like, is that? Yeah, sorry, I, I think it is. Interview, I but. think it's it's identifying with just how I am, just this kid in small town in New York. Uh, my mom's, you know, a receptionist, uh, divorced uh, parents. Um, I go to school, I go home, it's no big deal. Wouldn't that be amazing if suddenly, uh, with my cheap little telescope, I saw a UFO and it crash-landed in the woods and I'm the one that, that went out and found it and suddenly I'm caught up in this crazy thing? Or wouldn't it be crazy if, you know, a car pulls up at, at my high school and is like, you're, you're, you're Bob Canning? And I'm like, yeah. It's like, get in. It's like, okay, what the hell is going on? Uh, anything like that just was like a fantasy I had growing up. It's like, get me out of here somehow. Have something really? happen to me in this town, uh, even if it's me having to stop World War Three. So that's exciting. So so that makes sense. I mean, that's, is that yeah. like the Goonies, I feel like, must have been Oh, the Goonies was the because best. Of that angle. I mean, this 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 angle of it's a kid's adventure, and the kid is the one doing things. Yeah. And as a kid, that's what... You, so this is a kid's movie. I mean, this sounds well, like it's yeah, a kid's movie. Well, yeah, he's high school. He's probably in his 20s when he actually made it. But yeah, it's a high school but the movie. Character. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't in high school when I watched it, but I still related to the kid aspect that, that it's the youth um, that has to suddenly dig dig us out of this this uh, problem we're in uh-huh well, that, I mean that's cool that's that's a fun in to this movie and maybe that's why you saw it and, and it stuck with you I I have a different end to this movie, sort of. Like I, I, I think I was probably around the same age as you when I saw it. I, uh, I mean this to me, I don't remember Matthew Broderick in this so much. I don't remember Ali Sheedy in this at all. I, I don't remember them kind of as, as, as kids that I could relate to. What I remember is that this was a movie um, about a computer starting World War Three, hmm. and I don't know if that memory is accurate, but 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 it, it, it's, that, that's how I think of this film: the threat of a nuclear conflict, you know, was- which was terrifying. And at the moment, sort of timely. Yeah. Would I mean, you that was, say that uh, this came before, after, or around the same time 
that you became aware of the the day after uh, television event? Actually, this is, would have been I don't the same year eighty three is when they both came out. I ah. I know I saw this before I saw the day after. I was aware of the day after when it came out, but I didn't see it as a child. I saw it later in life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, both of them. I mean, I think they stoked the same fears. I lived in fear as a child of nuclear war, nuclear strikes, and I. I you know, I, I I think one of the reasons this movie came to mind right now is because, you know, let's say at the moment things are a little awkward on the world stage that we're living in. Tense? Can we say tense? I can we say Syria is a hot button issue? Can we say that? Mm, mm. Uh, can we say Trump has access to the nuclear codes? Can we say Putin is bragging about his destructive force? Um, we can Trump, say all those things. So, yeah, Trump is bragging about his destructive forces. You know what? Given the the three people I'm thinking of, King Jong Il might be the most rational one right now. Still an abusive monster with a hate crime against humanity. I was going to say, it kind of makes you wish a computer was in charge. Well, I don't know about that though, because we had stuff like Skynet, we had Ultron in the comics. Computers, in my mind, were, were dangerous were evil, and war was a prospect. And, and I feel like right now, we're on this superpower precipice thing, which is the phrase I actually typed in my notes, and now I'm not sure what I meant by that. But it is, I mean, but this fear of this, or this this, this, this shadow that I've had, and I've, I've had it sporadically over the past year, it's very similar to what I felt as a kid back in the 80s. Yeah. Back when, like, Russia and America were locked in this nuclear arms race. And... What's interesting is I, I didn't watch the news as a child the way I do now. I didn't have access to the news as a child the way I do now. But I experienced this, you know, through through adults talking about it, but but mainly through the fear that blanketed pop culture. The pop culture I watched was about how we could go to war. And if we did, it would be a war fought with nuclear weapons. And it was America against Russia. Red Dawn did this. This movie did this. There are plenty more. And and And... and it was this weird specter that those movies always hit me in a different way. It was hard to enjoy those movies. It was hard to be comfortable with those movies. And those movies lingered. Like, I'm sure when I saw War Games, it lingered in my head for a few days after with just this feeling of, this is awful, could this happen? Even though I, my, my memory is that things turn out okay at the end of War Games, we'll find out. But I don't know. It, it's It's interesting to me that this fear was a key part of the pop culture fiction I was consuming at the time. And I don't know, are you seeing it right now? Like, I don't know if I see that in the pop culture of the, of now, of the 21st century. Maybe it's too soon or something, but like, I, it's yeah, all I superheroes in space. You don't. You I don't, don't think you don't. I do. Um, my, my view, as I think we've talked about before, is skewed um, simply because, A, I don't have the time to go out and see adult fare, and the uh, children's movies I see... Um, kind of, I, they tend to shy away from that sort of stuff. Well, then that maybe that's the trend because as a kid, I was seeing this stuff. Yeah, you know, as an eight-year-old, I was seeing this stuff, and it was in the cartoons, the comics, and the TV shows and the movies that I watched. And it was often, it was often the kids, the next generation, in those pop culture movies and comics. I think that were the ones that were trying to save the day, and often did, much like in War Games. I'm, I'm assuming, again, yeah. having not seen it in a while. Yeah, but it's just, it's odd. That's true, though. And I wonder why. I wonder why 
the mentality was, let's put this in the kid's story. Why did that permeate it? Was it, you know, I mean, this is the film as science fiction, right? Would you call war games science fiction? Yeah, I'd think so. Okay. Computer science fiction. Yeah, so the science fiction of the time was dealing with this nuclear war issue. And I don't know, I'm curious, in watching it, I'm, I'm wondering how much of that actually plays out realistically, how much of it's there, how much of it seems a little jingoistic or, or, or propaganda-like. I don't know, because this stuff was on my mind as a kid in a yeah. way that I couldn't, you know, it's different from now, because I get it more now and can perceive it more now and can read about it differently now as an adult who is still living in the fear of, of the fucking mushroom cloud. But yeah, let's let's watch this, because I want to see how did this play, and see if I can tap into how did this play to an eight eight-year-old me sure. and the fears I had. Before towards, we move on, yeah. Uh, just to confirm, it sounds like it's not a great memory for you. Oh, the, the old good Rams. memory, bad memory segment? Yeah. You're very good at remembering, and I am not. <laughs> I have to say bad memory because I don't really remember this movie. Yeah. I know I saw it, and I know people talk about it, so I'm aware of it, but it yeah. didn't stick with me for a plot. It just stuck with me for this, another thing about the title, War Games. Right. The, the idea of nuclear, they show nuclear missiles in it. And I think that always terrified me. Yeah. Just like there's a nuclear missile in Weird Science, and that terrifies me. So I'm going to say bad memory. What about yourself? I, I don't know if we've ever done this before, but I'm going to say, I guess, neutral memory. Um, That's a cop out. <laughs> neutral towards, leaning towards good. I mean, I certainly enjoyed okay. the the adventure aspect of it. The the kid caught up in something bigger than he ever expected. That I enjoy. So I guess mm-hmm. good memory. I guess we'll we'll do good memory, bad memory. That I guess we would say it's a good memory, but a vague one. It sounds like it's a, a vague, vague memory. Yes. Yeah. Guess. yeah. Well, let's yeah, let's check it out then because I, I going into this, I feel like at least one of us always has a pretty solid grasp of what we're going back to. This, uh, not so much. I hope it's the movie we remember. I hope it's the Matthew Broderick film because the kid in Weird Science looks a little bit like Matthew Broderick. So I hope I'm not just crisscrossing the two. So, Bob, before we begin, mm-hmm. I would just like to ask, would you like to tell me about the Whopper? Sure. I could tell you about the Whopper. No, really? I thought that'd be hilarious. I was laughing my ass off that the name of the fucking computer was the Whopper, but nothing from you? Nothing. Well, nothing. Okay. Uh, no, I also felt the Whopper took a mm-hmm. lot away from the effect that this thing could have had. Um, the Whopper... What, so the, what does it stand for? The Whopper is the it computer. It is the War Operation Plan Response. War That's, Operation Plan well, Response the e for? is the Whopper. There is no E. It's W-O-P-R. It's pronounced oh. Whopper. Oh, okay. And it is this giant you know, box, uh, basically like a encasement of lights, which, by the way... Here's how effective the Whopper is. This I watched the movie with my wife, and as as we're watching it, there's one tense scene where everything is building up, and there's a woman with a clipboard walking around the Whopper, looking at it, making a note, looking at it, making a note. The Whopper is basically a black box with lights flashing. 
like what? Yeah, are, terrifying lights. It's terrifying lights. It's like, what sort of notes is she taking? Oh, that light is going too fast. This must mean something. <laughs> and one more thing. There's a display, and we're jumping ahead here, but there's a display on it that we get a close-up of counting down the, the war game, basically, that nobody seems to notice. As it opened up, did you did it start coming back to you? Did you recognize or remember any of this movie as it started? No, not at the beginning. I don't right. remember the beginning at all. No, um, it's it's a it's like a secret base. You get a secret base yeah. there, just like in Spies Like Us. But I don't remember any of that. And I didn't recall that it opens with three very recognizable actors. Uh, Is that the guy from the West Wing? Was one of them on John, the West Wing? John Spencer from the West Wing. Michael Madsen. He's really Italian. Yeah, primo and pasta. <laughs> like he's really Italian in this movie. Those are the first two people we see. They don't Who get. Was the other um, one? Michael Madsen. Is that what you said? Mac- Michael Madsen. Our, yeah. our Reservoir Dogs. Michael Madsen, and among other things. Um, and then the guy that lets him into the building. I don't know his name, but he's a very recognizable actor, character actor. Uh, I think he played Babe Ruth in Field of Dreams. It's oh. That guy. It's like one it's of those not, that guys. Well, there's another that guy in it, and he doesn't have a line till like halfway through the movie, but he's a balding guy. He's the hotel owner from Ghostbusters. He's a military right? assistant falling yeah, behind Yeah, there's Dabney loads Coleman. of that guys. There's yeah. loads of that guys in this. There are, actually. And then it kind yeah. of peters out. And I think, that, like, because I'm trying to think, is there anyone in the school or anything recognizable? And I think Matthew Broderick's father, and I could be wrong on this, but I think that it's the father. Uh, I think it's Harriet's father from Small Wonder, but I wasn't positive on that. Mm. Yeah, a similar tone and all of that. But yeah, there were, so there were recognizable faces at the beginning. I was confused at the start of this because I do remember this as being a kid's movie. And I think, it, you know, yeah. and a kid's thriller. And I think it becomes that. But this beginning was very military. And I was just wondering, is this a pro-American military movie as a lot of the movies in the 80s were? Like, I, it, mm. the start of this did not make me think, okay, this is the comedy that I thought it was going to be. This is the Matthew Broderick movie. I, I was a little put off because it it's tense. I thought it was very well done. I thought it set a, a tone for a movie that, that was different than the tone I expected, but I thought it, it, it set up what was to come pretty well. But would that have interested you as a kid? Because we both saw this as a kid. Would that part have? Would that have no, lost you? Would you have followed that? It? That was totally lost on me as a kid. It was something I don't even remember being part of the movie. Um, it sort of enhanced the movie a bit for me this time around because I did get to experience that and and see what was going on. And and just to sum it up for anyone that hasn't seen it, if that's okay. Yes, that's great. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Um, basically, I mean, we'll wait for everyone to tweet in yes or no, but I think, these, these I think were, the majority are going to be say it's fine, Bob. Go ahead. These were, the, basically, there was two guys at the, at the keys for the missile launch, and they got a, uh, an alert, and they got all their codes that they needed. Um, everything was confirmed, and they had a countdown to launch the missiles. One guy, John Spencer, put his key in. Michael Madsen puts his key in. There's the countdown. They got permission to launch. And it, it, the tension built up. They went from casual joking to very serious by the book. There's sweat pouring down their foreheads, and John Spencer refuses to turn the key. Michael Madsen knows it's his duty, so he pulls out his, his sidearm, points it at John, uh, and says, Turn your key! It turns out to be just a test. Um, that they didn't, they weren't aware that it was a test, and so it was human error. They didn't follow through with their duty. And the movie, I think, really uh, from the get-go is to me as much as it is about you know thermonuclear war. It's really about this fear of of computers and taking the human factor out. 
Except, I mean, is there a fear of computers? Because very quickly the movie <laughs> jumps from this NORAD military bunker that gives tours for some reason. <laughs> yeah, for to, some reason. Um, to Seattle, birthplace of grunge. Like, that's where we go to meet two of um, the most um, uncharismatic teens I've ever had to watch on the big screen. <laughs> like, it becomes a high school movie, which is yeah. weird, by the way. Not that it's a high school movie, but they're uncharismatic. Because both of these two, it's Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. Yes. And they both, just a few years after this, play two of the most iconic teens I've ever seen in a movie. Ferris Bueller and Allison from The Breakfast Club. But, like, did you remember that they were the ones in this movie, that they were the teen characters in this film? Uh, yes, I did. I did know that they were the two teens that get caught up in this uh, crazy event. Did uh, you relate to them as a kid? Did you like them? Did they seem I, enjoyable? I related to them in that they were kids. Yes, they were probably older. They were certainly older than me when I first saw the movie. Uh, but mm-hmm. they were still in school, high school. Um, so I related to them from that perspective i didn't relate to them um in what their interests were uh how easily they uh tried to um, change their grades and stuff it, it, uh, that wasn't the type of kid i was well they tried to I, change it by hacking into the school computer and that's why you said right. a fear of computers i think this movie is one of the first real like jerking it off love stories with computers. I think this movie oh. really embraces technology. The Matthew Broderick character is this... I can see why this movie does resonate. It doesn't resonate with me through my life, but I can see why like, tech, techno geeks and people who do programming and, and people who computers are what they work on, I can see why this movie would have impressed them as kids. Sure. Because you have this teen who knows how to... I don't know. He knows how to do the stuff with a computer that still kind of seems like magic. like what he can do with it sure but it and i i see that that initially is sort of uh a a little love note to technology but at the same time it's that same technology that gets him into this trouble and nearly causes uh global war and i think i'm gonna argue with that i think but first what is the trouble that he gets in what what is the let's set the movie up basically in case anyone listening hasn't watched it because I think there's something to what you just said that is interesting in the movie, but that I kind of disagree with. He's, a, he's how how does the movie get rolling? How does how does well, Ferris Bueller and the Whopper meet? Well, uh, he basically uh, doesn't give a shit about doing things the right way. He wants to do them. He's a his horrible, own way. cool kid in this movie. Yeah, he, I hated he's, Matthew he's Broderick. He's not a nice person. Um, and so he. But he's uses, not good at it either. He's not a good actor for it. It's it's very lackadaisical. There's there's a lot of just. Staring bored. and walking. He just seems bored. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a realistic portrayal, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe we need animate, larger-than-life teen characters in our teen comedies when we're a teen. But I can't imagine watching <laughs> yeah. this movie and being like, oh, yeah, that guy. Because he just seems so... <laughs> it's like watching Matthew Broderick now in an interview sure. or walk through life or the two times I waited on him at a coffee shop. He has just given up at this age. <laughs> at, at, at a 20-year-old playing a 14-year-old, he has given up. And it's just sad. He's a sad... It's, it, that part of the movie is really... I don't know why this movie would have resonated with anyone who wasn't into computers because they're not engaging teens, I don't think. No, yeah. They're, they're pretty bland. Yes. Yes. Even in their badassery. 
which, <laughs> which is, he does do. And I'm sorry, I cut you off. He does do yeah. some badass things with a computer. Well, he's, yeah, and so he he sees that there's a new gaming system coming out uh, via an ad in a and he uh, in a magazine, and he sees where the company is located. And so, you know, being the brilliant computer mind, he uh, finds out what the area codes are there, and then he sets up his computer to dial every number in that city and see if it answers with a computer tone. And he's trying basically to find the computer phone access to this company so he can get into their computer system and Is that a real thing? I have no idea. Is that how games work? Okay. He wants to steal the games, or at least play them early, before it comes out on ProtoVision. Um, <laughs> and so, and that's one of those things where computers are magic in the '80s. Because, and again, maybe I sound like a fucking moron if that is how it works, and it's a very simple thing. But yeah, he had all this. Was that consumer grade computer stuff in the '80s? Because his parents so. are tech savvy. Yeah, his, yeah, I think right. That his was parents stuff aren't that he in that was field. Somehow getting. I mean, he. It was alluded to. I mean, we actually see that he goes to some computer. Factory, we'll call it a computer factory. I have no idea. Um, and he sees, he speaks to a couple of his his computer hacker buddies who are those were your, the two characters I liked. Your, your atypical computer geeks, I guess. Exactly. One, no. one very nerdy, one slobbish. Um, you can say fat. One fat, one nerd. I can say I slobbish they, too. You did say slobbish. You're right. Yes, he's both. He's 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 multi layered character. I, why weren't they? I know why they weren't, but why weren't they the main characters? I, I actually liked them. That's when the movie picked up for me because they had character. <laughs> they had spark. Yeah. They were caricatures, but they were talking in a funny way. I wish they could have had been the fucking ones who were talking with the sandwich computer. They weren't good looking teens, I guess. That's why, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, they were sloven, not slavish. Thank you. Yeah, sloven's very good. But I assume that that's, his connections there is where he probably gets some of his his uh, high grade equipment. computer okay. equipment. Yeah. Um, and so in in pulling all these numbers down, he opens them up and and finds that oh one was to a bank, one was to an airline, <clears throat> and one was to an unlisted number. So he tried to see what it was. He entered a few things, and since he was looking for games, he logged. He typed in something about searching games or help games, and then all of a sudden a list of games come up. Some of them normal chess, checkers. Uh, and then others... Thermonuclear oh. nuclear annihilation. That <laughs> there, was the title of one. That's there a you go. Game. Uh, so he assumes he's gotten into this uh, ProtoVision database and tries to play the games. They're just text-based games. I guess that's what home computer games were back then. It was kind of like... Yeah. Because he does. He downloads a program... And he start. He basically he hacks into. He thinks he's hacking into ProtoVision, but he hacks into uh, the sandwich computer, right? Yeah, that's basically the what's Whopper. happening. He basically because he does. finds and all the yeah and all the games are sort of its teaching methods. You teach it through chess. You teach it through tic tac toe. Yeah. I don't know if tic tac toe's in there yet. Yeah, that's a strategy games. Thank you. And and this I actually this part I liked it made sense looking through the list they're like well, which game do you want to try and they they pick thermonuclear war or whatever they they sure. pick the most horrendous sounding one and so they initiate the game on his computer thinking it's a game and I guess that's where they initiate it in the sandwich computer's mind which begins this countdown let's let's actually <clears throat> let's back up just a little bit okay. Because it's not like they break in and they just start playing this game. They can't get into the game because it's uh, password protected. Mm-hmm. 
And that's when he goes to talk to those guys to figure out, hey, how, how can I get into this game? And they suggest, you got to find out who developed this because he probably input a backdoor password. Once you know him, and you can guess what his password is. That's so they right. spend, I don't know how long, because it's a montage, but uh, <laughs> Beth Roderick's character spends all this time researching the game, <clears throat> finding out people's names, like really doing a lot of work just to find out. I mean, by the time he finishes, the actual ProDivision game might even be released, you know, to the public. <laughs> Um, but he finally figures it out, and it's a very dark kind of thing. The guy who created it used to work for the military. He was trying to make a computers that learned from their mistakes. He found out that his, his wife and son died in a car crash. His son's name is Joshua, and then in that bleak moment, thinks, it couldn't be that easy, could it? And he types in Joshua, and that's what gets him in to play the games. But that's like it felt like 20 minutes of the movie just figuring out how to break into this account. Well, that's like the low-rent <clears throat> Goonies adventure that they have. You know, like you right. said in the first half that you used to like movies where, you know, like you, you talked about, like, you know, someone pulls you into a car and says, hey, kid, help me out. You know, like where you're on this mission <laughs> as a kid. Right. And that's, I mean, this one of the things this movie does is that even though I don't like these characters, they are smart. Like they constantly outsmart the adults. Yeah. They break in and out of NORAD, I <laughs> which I don't think anyone is supposed to be able to do. <laughs> when we get um, so, to the end of the movie, there's something I do want to talk about there. But yeah, they, they, they're smart kids. And they are right. in that and adventure. So, and I do like that part of it. Or I especially did as a kid. Right. So I, I would – do you remember the part where he's trying to hunt down how to get in? Like you remember that whole part, learning the history of the sky and all of that? Yeah, yeah. And, and figuring the puzzle out. Absolutely. So that part's cool. I kind of wish that was a little more – like I guess, again, it's – now I'm wondering who is this movie aimed at? Because in The Goonies, they go on this quest. I, I don't care much for The Goonies, but it's a good template. The quest is probably ridiculous when you really look at how the entire underground is working and how it's built and all that. But yeah. you're going through all these obstacles and solving it almost like a video game. That's where I'm like, as a kid's movie, follow that maybe. Follow that part. Have him do the research. Have it be a little more adventurous. Because, again, the research he's doing does set up the third act. It's structurally important yeah. to get us to this island of the guy. Eventually, we meet the guy. He looks like Neil Gaiman, the, the guy that they, they find. Okay. Um, who who built the computer? He's awesome looking. I think is what he, she says. She does first... say that, <laughs> which he's not. He's no. British looking. Um, <laughs> but yes, so there's that. But like maybe I don't know. Just uh, something is missing. Where like these are not engaging kids. These are not fun kids to me. Right. And maybe it was different in the 80s because computers were more mystical or whatever. But yeah, so that the plot is set up regardless, and so. From there, the movie kind of becomes. I'm trying to think now. How does the pacing go? That's the thing. Like this movie doesn't stick with me. <laughs> it, it it completely it completely changes. It, it, it takes a long time. There's a long movie going from meeting Matthew Broderick and and learning about his computer skills and figuring out how to get into this game and having the game start and then what happens? What changes when? The FBI or the government basically picks him up and takes him to NORAD. That's right. And once he gets in... Yeah, they kidnap him because... Uh, because they think he's working for a foreign entity. It, like, they, like his purpose was to get into the system and to launch missiles. They didn't believe him when he said, no, I was just trying to play a game. I thought it was somewhere else. And so they completely... They take him to NORAD, of course. 
The dude wants to get <laughs> into our military system. So let's, that's let's, where you interview. Let's take him to NORAD. Um, and they call his parents and say everything's going to be fine, and the parents don't get involved for the rest of the movie. So he's he's at NORAD now, and then the pace totally changes, and it's it's a little faster paced, I guess. It's not as drawn out, and it's not as mystery. It's more about here's a goal, let's do it. Here's another goal, let's do it. Um, and they do it pretty quickly. And it like the first half of the movie is feels like it's like you know seventy minutes, and then the last half is just tight little twenty minutes, which is actually how movies work, I guess. But still. Um, <laughs> well, it's how a 90-minute movie would work if you did that. Yeah, math. that's true. Yes. But, but like so much is is fit into the last 20 minutes that you totally skip over a whole bunch of stuff. Um, like like when they get to the island and meet the guy who was supposed to be dead because... The guy who made... The, the British guy. Yeah, the, the British awesome guy who made Neil Gaiman the guy Lives on an island with a dinosaur. Lives on the island. I literally, as I'm watching this, <laughs> they cut to the bird in the sky and I say... Is that a pterodactyl? Like I had a t- that same thought. And they're and, like, well, it can't be. But, and my wife remembered, and she's like, yes. As if, like, don't you remember? He's now into dinosaurs. So, okay. Now, had your, your wife had seen it before. Did, did she have a good memory of this? Did she well, like She this at least movie? remembered the pterodactyl part. I didn't remember that. Okay. <laughs> um, she wasn't thinking of Godzilla? Because he's Matthew Broderick's <laughs> in that as well. Looking almost the same. Yeah, that guy. Almost as uninspired. That's also true. Uh, but then suddenly they're in a helicopter, and then suddenly they're in a jeep, and then suddenly they're back in NORAD. It, like, totally, the, like you were saying, the pacing of it just shifts completely. Um, and, again, it becomes more about, for me, the mistake they made of putting a computer in charge. Mm. And, and they they allude to this a few times when they cut to the same missile silo that John Spencer and Michael Madsen were running, it's now empty. And it's just computers. And there's nobody there to stop this from happening like there was at the beginning of the movie. They cut back to that empty room a couple times as the countdown to the missile launch was happening. That's right, because once Matthew Broderick's character starts playing the game, it's there are a couple false... Right? Is that how the government gets involved? It looks like there are attacks yeah. going on, but it's just a computer playing through these sequences. Exactly. And the and the computer is designed to only run sequences unless the country is at DEFCON 1. And they have that little counter right. that says DEFCON 5, DEFCON, DEFCON 4. But, the computer, but as is, the computer is also designed to win. Mm-hmm. Which is why when they are able to stop it and realize it's just a game and not launch their missiles... Uh, they being the U.S., the computer, the computer wants to win, and so it sort of takes over and starts the process of launching the U.S. missiles for real. At least we're assuming it's for real. And that's frightening. I, the, the, there, it's weird. We're we're talking. I think we're bookending the movie because you're right. There's a lot of bullshit happening in the middle basically which is exciting but it's just the pace is so off because it's a thriller so maybe make it an adult character it's a comedy but they're not funny they're kids but you know he's at an arcade i like i like that part i loved seeing the fucking arcade in this movie but that doesn't really come back because he's not that kind of the computer guy as we find out but there is something going on which is this whole movie is set about the fact that and this is kind of funny (laughs) like they thought they were playing a simple game and that's what triggered the computer to think war doing war and then every simulation the computer runs is terrifying enough that the military brass that's in charge 
lower or changes the DEFCON rating, the DEFCON 3, DEFCON 2, they're taking all of this as possible attacks because what happens is the, the, the hamburger computer puts up on the monitor pictures of where subs would be coming in, pictures of where missiles would be coming in, and does all the things that these computer monitors supposedly monitor. But it's doing it as a simulation, which none of them seem to get. That's why they keep wondering, is this a real attack? An attack? Is this a fake attack? And, and yeah. that part is stressful because they have to reach out and, and through the phone and through communications check if these places are really there. Yeah. So that's like the, the, the structure of the movie. And it really is – the reason I, you know, I was saying before I don't necessarily think it's a computer in charge is this movie humanizes the computer. This movie gives the computer a child's name. This, compu- this movie gives the computer a voice. This movie gives the computer – a love of games like it's it's just a kid playing like i feel that way too the way the computer talks is do you want to play a game you know it, it doesn't i don't think the computer is aware like it's not a skynet situation sure where the computer has self-awareness and decides no right. uh, mankind is is let's wipe out people persons but that's, places and things that's exactly my point though um the computer doesn't have a personality it's not a person and it doesn't uh, want to do this. It's not a, a, a villain. It's not an evil thing. It, but it's just a computer. It's just programmed to do what it's programmed to do. It doesn't have John Spencer's conscience and isn't going to suddenly realize I shouldn't... Doesn't like pasta. <laughs> I, shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't turn this key. Um, it's the theme of the movie is even set at the end uh, where the general, thinking it is real, is about to launch the missiles. And the argument is, don't do it. We have so many other clues that this is a game. You you have to stop acting like a machine. Because he was the machine. He was a general who felt like he had to do what his commands are. And when he sees missiles coming, he has to f- fire missiles back. Just like the, the machine is seeing, we're playing this game. I have, to fight mi- I have to fire missiles. And they're saying, no, general, do not act like a computer. Don't be a machine. Use your own human you know, uh, skills and viewpoints and conscience and know that this probably isn't real. Don't fire the missiles because even if you do, you're just condemning the other half of the world, you know, to a problem. Even if this is real, you know, you have a choice. The uh, computer doesn't have a choice. A person has a choice. The computer also isn't launching the attack. That's the thing. Right. This is this is kind of the issue because this is the argument people make towards video games cause violence. It's like the computer thinks it's playing a game because it's programmed to run simulations. The only way the computer would launch an actual full-scale attack is when a human decides to lower the DEFCON level, which a human does. The general takes us down to DEFCON 3, then 2. The computer was programmed to enact its 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 nuclear attacks only if, if we reach DEFCON 1, right. which a human puts us at. Which human? And that's the thing. Which like, human does that? Was it? The human that puts us at DEFCON 4, 3, 2, and 1 is the general. It's the general, who threw, I think. Yeah. Who, threw, who up to the end is acting like a machine, is just as... as Computer he's not like, acting like machine. He is. He's following. He's a, he's protocol. a human being who has violent tendencies. No, he's, he, he. The problem. He's following the protocol, and only at the end, when he when he veers away from his programming, so to speak, and he uses his own personal choice, mm-hmm. does he not launch if, the the missiles? 
If he had launched the missiles, a human would have launched those missiles. It's not a machine Correct. launching but the missiles. Didn't. The humans are putting it up to, to get to it. That's, that's the weird message in this. I mean, yes, it took a lot of coaxing to this guy, but he eventually heard what was being said, broke out of his programming as a general, and did a, a, his own personal human choice to not turn the key. Just like it was set up at the but beginning. But it also would have been his human choice to do it. That's the thing. It's not We're not mechanical machines if we decide to launch missiles. We're unfortunately horrible, bloodthirsty human beings. True. And that's the issue, I think, with this. It's not... The machine is never at fault. <laughs> the machine was programmed. That's the And that's the thing. I didn't remember. I thought the computer developed the consciousness. And I thought when you name it... And I was all ready to say that at the start of our talk, even. Where I'm like, oh, no, it's like a kid. It's like little baby Joshua. But it's not. Matthew Broderick even says it's not talking. The voice that you hear is coming through a microphone re- uh, interpreting beeps and sounds or whatever. Which I don't know why it has the same voice at the base, but that's how it works. So... All of that is, is is human interpretation, trying to rationalize this machine. I think this movie maybe has a couple mixed messages in its anti-technology stance because when the guy from the West Wing and Michael Madsen are in there talking about pasta, they're still monitoring machines. They still press a button on a machine. They still operate machines. Machines are part of this. They're tools. And at whatever level you're going to remove a human from interaction. They're still just tools. That's why I think the computer not becoming self-aware, and that's, again, I remembered in the movie, I thought it did. It doesn't. That changes the message of the movie. Because the general didn't become more human by deciding not to launch the missiles. He made the what I would call the right choice. He made a human choice, but there's also a human choice to launch the missiles. It's an unfortunate human it's, choice. Humans an unf- and machines are not polar opposites, which is, sounds like the, what, what the movie and, and, and you're proposing in that yeah, sense. Yeah, and I think... It's putting blame on mechanical thought and mechanical action and not holding humans in, in the equation. Like, this isn't an anti-nuke movie because <laughs> humans are never actually... Because if, 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 if what you're saying is true, humans were never responsible for the missiles. It would have been the machine. Like, there's no question of having it. There's no question of, 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 of pulling back. It's just, oh, he didn't launch him. So humans are all right. Humans built the machine and built the machines of the missiles that the machine's going to launch. I agree. I agree. There's, so there's a missing message. Yes, in there this. is a mixed message. And I agree that a bigger picture. And also, if you pull out of the movie um, and, and speak to this in the real world scenario, you're absolutely right. There are humans that do atrocious, atrocious things all the time, too often. Yes. In the world of this movie, I think the message is about the machine. And you say that the computer doesn't become self-aware. Um, it doesn't necessarily become self-aware, but it does learn uh, at the end of the movie when they play, when they have the game play tic-tac-toe against itself and understands that mm-hmm. there is no winner there and then quickly does all sorts of global nuclear scenarios back and forth, back and forth, and realizes there's no winner there either. Um, and so that part was frightening, by the way, that that is the scene of the movie that is horrifying. Anytime I see a map of a missile heading somewhere, <laughs> I thought your sentence was going to stop <laughs> yeah. there. Anytime, anytime I, see I see a map, terrifying. national treasure, but no, any, terrifying. anytime Vacation, I see that, that computerized map with a missile that's heading somewhere that we can't see the missile, we can't see that location and the map 
the missile hits that spot, and then that bright light happens in, in circular form on a map, and that's happened in uh, several things. That always terrifies me, that sense of something somewhere is being destroyed. And to see that over and over and over again in this movie is terrifying. Do you think those maps really work that way? Do you think they're programmed to actually work that way in the real world? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. But no, that's, it's true. It's, that's it's visually appearing. It is, and it works, because that's, yeah, the, the scene you're yeah. talking about is, they think they've defeated the, the sandwich computer, I forget why, but they think they've shut it down, but because, like, you, I guess, and maybe this is where it is, human, because you said it's programmed to win, it keeps going, right. it doesn't stop, because maybe they didn't lift it off of DEFCON 1, I forget why, so... They Chooch, did something about locking, they locked it into the, the process, uh, it's, okay. it's alluded to, there's some sort of, they can't stop it, All for right. whatever reason. So, so slightly earlier in the movie, the Neil Gaiman-looking awesome British guy talks about the simplicity of tic-tac-toe and how it's a game nobody can win, I think, right? It's always a stalemate. Yeah. I think it's a mixed metaphor, too, because I think he uses it as a stalemate in war. But I think Matthew Broderick asks, and, the, and this is what I don't understand, in the middle of its nuclear thermonuclear meltdown procedure. <laughs> the computer can also play a game of tic-tac-toe. Sure. He asks the computer to play tic-tac-toe. They do. And it's just stalemate after stalemate because uh, that's how the game's built. If you're smart enough, you, you, know, just, you, you never win. And then that makes the computer start to consider all the different courses, I guess. This is, now this is falling apart. Cause, so the computer is processing data this data was always there. It always saw that each scenario would kill this many people. That's not news. We're supposed yeah, to believe that the computer sees that, well, if we launch this missile and they launch this missile, this many people die. If these people launch this missile and these people launch this missile, this many people die. It's supposed to see that no scenario of launching a single missile is going to be victorious because there's always retaliation. That should have been in there from the start. Right. Because <laughs> that's what it's running. <laughs> Those are the, the scenarios it's running. It, it didn't just all of a sudden think, well, this, this, and this. So that's where I'm like, so what are they saying at that point? Is it becoming a human? Is it making a choice? Because otherwise, it, what we're seeing on the screens is just a, should just be a scroll of all the programs, the same way as when they look at the games. Like, here's all the games in here. Here's all the possible scenarios yeah. in here. So now that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure what this movie is saying. I think it's anti-nuclear war, but doesn't get into that too much. Exactly. I think it's more about uh, technology versus humans um, and how technology can cause more problems than, than we expect and that you have to have a human there to make the right choice because there's more to it than just the black and white uh, pixels that, that the computer might be running and seeing. Uh-huh. Um, yes, at the end, the last final message from the computer is, you know, what does he say? This is a strange game. The only winning move is not to play. So that's that's the big nuclear message. But I think more than that, the movie itself is more about when when the I think Dabney Coleman says to the general, don't act like a machine when he has to decide, do I fire my missiles? I don't know. First of all, so the computer does become self-aware. It has extent. an opinion at the I end think of the it, movie. I think it suddenly. I think <laughs> it has a thought. I think at the beginning we learned that he's been building computers that are supposed to learn, and I think the computer learned. He learned that nuclear war is should never be an option. War itself shouldn't be an option. I don't know if it learned that, but certainly global thermonuclear war 
should not be an option. That's what the computer learned. That's what he became aware of. I think it makes a good point for kids to maybe see because it's, 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 it's an anti-nuclear message. That's it, in there. That's but clearly in there. That's an important message. It is a very forth. important message. I, but I think the – yes, but I think it's more about uh, they, they, they've got the computer human thing. The human factor is important. And that's what I think the, the the bigger message is. I think at the end they tell Dabney Coleman that his his idea was bad. And I'm assuming, again, we don't see it, but it's inferred. You would imagine at the end of this movie they bring John uh, Spencer and Michael Madsen and, and give them their jobs back. That's that's my that's my takeaway. Do you think maybe he opened up a pizzeria in that time so he can't come back? <laughs> that's primo pasta. That's probably no, true. But I... So the message in the 80s, I guess, was an anti-technology message. You can't make that message now. No. On a show that we assume people are going to listen to with headphones plugged no, you know into what, a though, phone actually, that's made on a computer, you can't make that message anymore. I, I, they, you probably can. I mean, people are making that message now. They're, they're saying how terrible Facebook has been for society, both on a personal level and socially, but now also technology and... Uh, espionage and treasonous. I think you can make the same message that the technology is is not good. Just the way you know, there are certain ways it's great, but I think you can still find a way to to make a message, to make a film or a TV show about it. I mean, I I haven't seen Black Mirror episodes, uh, but I'm told Black Mirror is all about how technology is terrible uh, and can can have negative effects. But are any of us going to do that? That's the thing. Like in the 80s, it was very easy to be, to be against technology because not everybody had a computer. There were still people at the MBTA turnstiles. Uh, Cylons were still fresh in people's minds. Like these things made it so that computers were otherworldly. They were still magic. I still do my stuff on pen and paper. I'm just that kind of guy. I do my taxes on paper, whatever. That's my new character, by the way. <laughs> pen and paper, pen, pen and paper Pete, I think is his name. But... I don't think we can. I don't think. I think we've crossed a point of no return with that. Short of an electronic, you know, an EMP apocalypse, where suddenly we're at a loss, because there are things that we need in this world that we no longer have physically. There is access to banks. There is ways we communicate. So all. So in anti-technology, and this is my issue with what you were saying. I don't think because I used to be. I used to be anti-technology. I thought technology is bad. I don't think technology can ever be bad because it's a tool. You know, a funny-looking hammer is still a hammer. It's not bad. These things can't be bad. That was a dumb <laughs> sentence. But I just – a tool itself is never – a weapon is bad, but a weapon and tool, I think, have different sure. purposes. But I just – You're right. The blanket statement of technology, but even picking and pulling it at – yeah, Facebook has been used for devious things, so maybe that is bad. But – the social aspect of it has it got us to start talking. It keeps us in touch. Yeah, no, and and I mean, your, your, I, I, your point is 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 accurate because you're saying Facebook is a tool, and it's not about um, it, it's how people use that tool. And you're right, people have used it uh, for heinous things, and but but people are using sorry, it. It's heinous, heinous. You know, like I no, I do like it. <laughs> I didn't think I would, but, but I do. Thank you. Uh, but it's it's the tool. You're absolutely right. It's the tool. You can't fault the tool. But you could in the 80s, I guess. I mean, because I think, I think there was a time where you well, could. Well, no, I, and no, I, think, I think No, I think the movie makes the same point. You can't fault the tool, but you need the human there. The but human you're saying that to, guy calls himself a machine. A machine is a tool. 
It's humanity yes. that makes the tools do the things they do. And, in, and, right. and I think what we need to accept is that the strike that just happened on Syria, a human being ordered that with a human's mind, a human's conscience, a human's needs, a human, all of those well, things. I don't, I don't know if he's got a human's conscience. He does. I think the moment we detach him from that, we're allowing him to get away with shit. He's yeah. a disgusting human shit. being because human beings can That's do that. True. So I think this idea, and this is why I, I don't know if this is me changing as I get older, if this is a change as technology takes a bigger hold on society, I don't think the distinction of technology, the statement technology is bad is a dumb statement. The technology don't act like a machine. Right. I, I don't know if I get that. I'm not saying it's dumb. I'm saying like, I, and, I'm, and I'm stretching it a little to try to wrap this up, but I just, I feel like there's a mixed message at the end of war games that doesn't ring true to me. If you claim that what's, you know, it's like what saved the computer love no, it didn't. That's where I thought it was going because it had the kid's name. It didn't. What saved humanity? Humanity, sure. What would have doomed humanity? Humanity. Like that's the, yeah. at the end of the day. It's not the, – the capabilities of these tools are, are horrendous. The capability of a nuclear arsenal is horrendous, and I wish the fuck they didn't exist. Yeah. And because it's something where how do you dismantle it? It still exists. So that tool is horrible. But still, it's the person who hits the button or increases the build of them or refuses to pull back or whatever that causes the destruction. So I, I guess, you know, I was going to this movie thinking, like, let's talk about 80s wartime fear and paranoia with Russia. But now we can talk about 21st century fear with that. But, yeah, I guess I'm not quite sure where I stand on what this movie's about. Mm. And, to go, you know, like to go into good reality, bad reality, I'm going to say it's a good reality. You know, I enjoyed the movie. You know, I wish the leads were a little more endearing. But it had yeah. a point. It had a good point. It's just I'm not sure how to how the interpretation of that, I guess. Maybe, and this will be my last comment on it, uh, I also think it's a, a good reality. I, I was fully engaged with the movie the entire time. It was, it's a fine movie for, for its time. And, yeah, we're saying that humanity saved the the world humanity could have also doomed the world so maybe what the movie is saying is we need better humanity we need more people to step up that have those uh that has a conscience and a kindness and uh, a greater belief in the world Mm -hmm. perhaps maybe uh, so that's our show, I think, right? I'm, I'm timely yeah. wise. I... <laughs> again, again, a question. Is that the end? It is. It that's is the end, end of the show. Um, which means it's this part, people, the part where I tell you that if you like this show, if you want to hear more of the show, check out 20popcast.com. That's the main website for 20th Century Popcast, the show you just listened to. Uh, latest issue, uh, latest issue, latest episode is always up there, as, as well as links to all of our past episodes, 60 something episodes at this point. Um, you also find links there so you can subscribe to the show if you want to get an episode every week when it goes up on Thursdays. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, on Google Play, and other Android device devices. Um, and all of that's available. All if those podcatchers the, out there. All those podcasts. Is that a word you just learned, or do you know that that's, already? I, I've known it for a week now. Great. Catch those pods with a podcatcher. With a podcatcher, and you can you can you can get the net on that podcatcher by going to twentypodcast.com. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna to uh, uh, tell anyone to go to my Twitter and follow me because it's technology. And right? uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, oh, no, but you oh. can if you want. If you if you're a good uh, person and you <laughs> will help humanity, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at rhcanning. 
But if you're not a good person by my standards, get out right. of technology. That's huh? right. Hit the digital information highway. Download. Go download yourself. Go <laughs> download yourself. I'm trying to think of computer terms with F in them, and I'm just coming up blank. Go control alt shift alt. yourself. Yeah, go alt shift yourself. yourself. You go. Shift yourself. <laughs> shift yourself, people. Uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, depending on how the retaliation for this country's yeah. little <laughs> indulgence of warheads on Saturday went, but maybe we'll be back next week. We'll see. We'll see. We are so shift. F2 no that didn't work I'm looking I'm actually looking at a keyboard you're now you're looking at your computer I almost just started saying letters because that's go what most F-key of them go F key yourself go F key F key that's, that's pretty is there an F key though they all have all numbers all the F keys those are the F keys yeah it's like F4 so go F4 yourself sure that'll work go F10 yourself control alt del yourself go del yourself uh. how about this one Tim ready for this this will end it ready okay. control alt catchphrase I'm gonna let that be the end, but I'm okay. not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> you don't have to. You can cut. You can cut earlier. You can cut far That's earlier. Far earlier. 